actually want to introduce some special people who came all the way from Rancho Cucamonga to hear me preach today. Uh, my parents here in the fourth row are here visiting me. Yes. And so Rancho Cucamonga, it's a really funny sounding name, but when you're a first grader, it's the worst one to write on your address label. Um, but I think this is a very special moment in the life of a pastor's kid. My dad is a pastor. And the reason is because for all the times he had used me and his parenting moments as sermon examples, well, now the tables are turned. Uh, but, Dad, don't worry. I'm not going to embarrass you like you did me. I, like, I'm not going to tell anything about the time that you preached an entire sermon with your fly down. <laughs> or that mom tried to signal that was happening, so you hid behind the podium, but you forgot that it was as transparent as this glass right here. <laughs> don't worry. I'm not going to say anything about that. <laughs> um, but for everyone here, I think it's important that I share a bit of where I came from and talk about my parents. So... You know, if you hold anything against me, you can really blame them. <laughs> but uh, here's a picture of my family. Um, we are a USC family. My parents met at USC. Actually, they met in the InterVarsity chapter there while they're going in college. So I'm actually an InterVarsity baby. And uh, I have two younger brothers, Daniel and Jonathan. Um, and here's another picture of me as very little, spelling the two most important words that I could ever remember. Timmy but also USC. Um, but I think all that really shows you is um, my Trojan parents do a very good job brainwashing me at a very early age. <laughs> but uh, with that, let's go to the scripture that we have for today. Colossians ver uh, chapter 4, uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 5. And it says this, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The word of the Lord. Amen. Now, the title for today's sermon, as Pastor Tobin shared, is A Whole New Wardrobe. And as we see in the text, Paul uses this imagery of clothing and a total makeover. Take off your old self. Put on your new self. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, love, 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. And I know that we may be familiar with the culture of, of makeover, whether it's reality TV, like Extreme Makeover, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, or The Biggest Loser. But let me share a story with you about my own total makeover. So, some of you are seeing this picture, and especially my mom, and you're probably saying, why don't you dress like that anymore, Tim? And there's two reasons, actually. The first is that Southern California seems to have forgotten that it's not summer anymore, so wearing layers isn't really much of an option. Um, and the second is this. If you can't tell, this picture was actually taken a few years ago, and so it seems that when my age increases, so does my waistline, and so these clothes don't actually fit anymore. Um, but the whole reason this came about was I had a mentor. Um, her name was Erna, and while I was an intern with InterVarsity, she was training me on how to be a good minister, how to relate to people, um, what does it mean for me to be a minister of the gospel. And I think she did a little bit extra credit in her mentoring that day. Um, she saw me, and she's like, Tim, how old are you? At the time, I was about 27, and she's like, you know, you're a grown-up man, so dress like one. <laughs> I was wearing a t-shirt and my gym shorts, and what she said was, honestly, I can't tell if you just woke up or if you came from the gym. You may have been a college student, and you may minister to them right now, but you don't need to dress like one anymore. In fact, you are a minister of the gospel. You carry authority, and what you're wearing right now is unbecoming of someone in your position. And I took those words to heart because I was just wearing whatever was comfortable. Um, but she said, no, you have to realize that what you wear reflects uh, and communicates something to other people. And so she took me to Nordstrom's. She told me that one of the most important things was finding the right fit. We went to the dressing room, and voila, that's what I look like. Too bad I couldn't keep off the pound so I can make it stay that way. Um, but in the same way, Paul paints this picture of a whole new wardrobe that is a good fit for Christ's followers. In fact, in verse 5, he starts off with, therefore, because we have been raised also with Christ, therefore, clothe yourself in this way. Clothe yourself in ways that are befitting, that are becoming of ones who follow Christ as well. And one of the things that I want to say about a whole new wardrobe is that it begins with cleaning out the closet. Erna didn't just take me to Nordstrom's, but she also went to my room, opened my closet, and she's like, what is this doing here? And I'm like, Erna, it's my favorite band from high school. I can't throw away these shirts. And she's like, Tim, there are holes in these. There are stains on these. I'm like, but if I just wore something over it, I could hide. She's like, no. When you see things like this, you need to clean out your closet. And I think Paul is doing the same thing when he comes out with this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. And it seems like this is a very long to-do list of things you're actually not supposed to do. But if we take a look at these things and kind of see what are the connecting dots, what is it really getting to the heart of this, 
It's really that it puts us at the center. Our greed puts us in the center, that things are the most important things to us, not other people. Anger, slander, malice, lying, all of these are ways that I put myself above another, using my words to cut them down rather than build them up, or allowing resentment and bitterness to build. I think this is, could also be a list of hidden sins. He talks about sexual immorality, which could be sex outside of marriage, or maybe even things like addictions, like pornography, or alcohol, or other substance. But I think, too, because Paul knows that he's addressing the church, he knows that there are permissible sins, things that people just let something slide. Slander and gossip takes the guise of, I'm just trying to get something off my chest. Maybe lust. Maybe it's not so much as far as an affair or adultery. But maybe you see that TV show or that movie, and you see the actor and actress, and you know that it's rated R or TVMA, and you're like, oh, well, it's not too bad if I just take a look, right? Or even greed. Maybe we get pictures of someone like Scrooge McDuck swimming in his gold coins or stealing and taking advantage of others. But in reality, all of these things are idolatry. And idolatry isn't simply just saying this thing is more important than God, but it's the belief that somehow these things will provide for me, that these things will ultimately satisfy. And I think if we look at the civilizations back, they had gods for the sun, gods of fertility, gods of war, gods of love, and this is what they worshipped because this is what they thought ultimately satisfied them. As long as the weather was good, I know that I'm going to have a good harvest. As long as I know that the army and our nation is strong, I know that I'm going to be safe. As long as I have the type of love that can satisfy me, I know that I'm going to be happy in life. And I wonder, if we look at back at them and we see these statues that they've set up, when in reality it's just changed forms for us. Maybe instead of the sun or fertility God, we put our idols, we put our satisfaction and provision in our jobs, our career, our net worth, our money. But here's the thing. These things ultimately cannot satisfy us. Not the way that God can. And Paul is identifying this firsthand. He's calling all these out, line by line, name by name, because he knows that these are something that people are struggling with in the church that he's at. In fact, he knows that when these crumble, the only thing that's left is God. Nothing can make you feel so low as seeing whatever you idolize fall before you and crumble. But I also believe nothing can give us clarity of our need for God as when we hit rock bottom. And this is why Paul says, Rid yourself of these things. Put to death. We're cleaning out the closet right now. This doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to leave this for a later date. Oh, there's a stain that I think I can cover up. Get rid of it. Toss it in the trash. This isn't something to be ignored, hoping that no one notices. It's not something that we manage. It's not something that we deal with. We get ourselves rid of these things. Because a whole new wardrobe begins with cleaning out the closet.
Now the passage continues. In verse 11, he says this, There's no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And Paul goes on. He lists out all the dividing lines that are in the church of this day. The most controversial issue of this day right now is circumcision. Because there were God-fearing Jews that believed that circumcision was necessary to show your loyalty to Jesus. Whereas there's Gentiles who had never been circumcised who are wondering, is this really necessary to believe that in Jesus Christ? And he lists everything out. He lists all the various tribes. And I wonder, what would this list look like if Paul said it today? Maybe in something like this in Southern California, it might look like this. The different tribes. Trojans and Bruins. Dodgers or Angels. Kings or Ducks. For peanut butter, crunchy or smooth. But I did say, Paul goes there. Paul brought up the most controversial thing. Almost like he's throwing a grenade in the room and seeing what's going to happen. So what would his list look like today? Would it say Republican or Democrat? Conservative or liberal? In terms of theology, traditional or progressive? Immigrant or citizen? Millennial or baby boomer? We keep in mind that Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. And as I see different things going on in the church today, I wonder, are we just like this church? Are we fighting in these ways when Paul is actually emphasizing Christ is all and all in us? Are we fighting as if we have the right version of Christianity? That we have a monopoly on it? The right interpretation, the right convictions, the right practices and applications. I wonder, are we fighting the right fight? But since I have the podium and the mic, I just want to say this. I think red is a beautiful color. Red is my favorite color. I think I look good wearing red. In fact, I remember in high school, my homecoming date took my breath away when I first saw her in a red dress. And when I look back at this display, there's this one particular square of red with a splash of black. And I just look at it and I'm like, I wish there were more of those squares all over that. In fact, I love for the entire background to be in that color. Um, but now I want to try a little experiment. Uh, for all of you. Um, so think for a moment, what is your favorite color? Now, on the count of three, say that out loud. Okay, ready? One, two, three. I, I couldn't make that out. So can you be a little louder? On the count of three, say it. Ready? One, two, three. I heard, think I heard a little bit more blue, so is that everyone's favorite color? Wait, let's do it one more time. Okay, ready? Louder. One, two, three. Okay, and now I couldn't make anything of that. <laughs> but let's try this. On the count of three, say Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. Did any of you notice a difference? Now, maybe you can say 
your color louder. Maybe you could even convince other people that your favorite color is that great too. But for someone on the outside, it, it's completely muddled. To someone on the outside, I'm not sure if they'd be able to understand what the heck we're saying. It sounds like a lot of noise. But when we come together, we see Je say Jesus together. I think there's a whole different impression that people live with. In fact, I would say that oftentimes when people look at the church, they see everything that we're against. We see everything that we are loud about. But I sometimes wonder, do they miss the fact that we're really all about Jesus? And here's the truth of the matter. We all have different personalities, different histories, different cultures, different experiences, different preferences, different things we like, and even different ways that we connect with God, different God-given convictions. But I think the real question here is, what do we really want to see? Our favorite color or Jesus? What do we want to see in our lives? Our favorite color or Jesus? What do we want to see in our churches, in our communities? And so I say that because Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And the truth of the matter is this. A whole new wardrobe happens one button at a time, and I didn't rehearse this with a mic, so that made it a little bit harder. But if I could set aside my favorite color and instead say Jesus, what could that look like to the rest of the world? Some of you may have seen me wear this shirt before and have asked me, what does Hikai mean? Um, it's actually a brand that's he is greater than I, which points back to John the Baptist, who is the original person who would point to Jesus and say, he is greater than I. I am not worthy to stoop to tie his shoe. I must increase and he must decrease. And so I wonder for us, what does it look like for us to remove ourselves, for us to deny ourselves, for us to take up our cross and follow and emphasize Jesus and not allow our personal things to come in the way of what Jesus wants to do. A whole new wardrobe starts one button at a time. And in this last section of the passage, Paul turns to not just what are you supposed to get rid of, what are you supposed to put to death, but rather clothe yourself. And here's the funny thing. When you look at this list, kindness, compassion, gentleness, it sounds really well and good. In fact, when I hear those words, I imagine it's like a Hallmark card with Jesus holding a little lamb. But let's remember the context. Paul just said what they needed to get rid of, what they had to put to death. He just listed all the different divisions happening within this church. And he goes on after the passage to say, bear with one another and forgive any grievance. You see, I think in a vacuum, these words sound really good. But clothing ourselves with gentleness isn't easy when there's division, when controversy is brought up. In fact, here's a story from my dad. Was, he would always tell me whenever we're listing these different things, whether it's fruit of the Spirit, whether it's a list like this, he's like, you know, 
I've learned over the course of my life never to pray for patience. And I was like, oh, Dad, you're a pastor. You can't say stuff like that. What are people going to think? He's like, no, no, no. I just realized that God answers my prayer, but it's not in the way that I expect of it's like I have this patience meter and it suddenly goes up. Rather, he puts me in situations where I find myself driving behind a cement mixer, where I find myself in the longest line at the shopping mart, or something that it tests my patience. And I'm like, you know, God, I'd rather not have those types of moments. But I wonder if this is what it's like for us to clothe ourselves in these times we clothe ourselves with kindness when it's the hardest thing to do. We clothe ourselves with humility when it's the hardest thing to do. And when I take a step back and look at these things, this clothing reflects Christ-likeness. If we look at the life of Christ, he was the one who had compassion when his battery was practically spent. He, him and his disciples had been spending the whole day doing ministry teaching and yet there are 5,000 before him, and he says he had compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. What does it look like to have compassion when we are completely spent? He was also the one who had gentleness and kindness to the people who were the most unlovable. He ate with tax collectors and sinners, people who sold his reputation when it wasn't easy, but he continued to do that. And even for his death, he was going to have a sinner's death, a criminal's death for a crime he honestly didn't commit. And yet on the cross, he displayed humility when he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How hard is it to display that type of humility when you're wrongfully accused, when you're misunderstood, when frankly you are correct, you are right, but instead, you extend forgiveness instead. And you know, as followers of Jesus, we need to be in the business of forgiveness and reconciliation. The center of our theology is based on forgiveness and grace. And I'm guessing that for most of us, our attraction to Jesus comes from his love, from his grace, from his forgiveness for us. In fact, every week, we pray the Lord's prayer that includes Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I wonder, what would the church look like if we were a place that was known for its grace and forgiveness? Not only to the people outside of our church walls, but also to the ones in it as well. And it's funny because I'll look online and see all of these amazing stories of forgiveness where it's um, someone who's you know, facing racism and learns how to forgive. Or I remember reading the book The Hiding Place of Cory Ten Boom, someone who was persecuted under Nazi Germany and what it took for her to forgive. And I think sometimes for us, we see that there's a certain threshold of different things that are coming up. And if it doesn't cross that threshold, we really don't need to deal with it. It's an us problem. It's something that we could sweep under the rug. Or sometimes it's, we just let it fester. It just builds up. We need to be people that pursue forgiveness like a life depends on it. Because technically it does. The whole reason we're able to worship Jesus and love like we do is because of the forgiveness 
that he extended to us. Now, I want to share with you a story uh, at my time in college. And so here's an interesting fact for those who didn't know this, but even though I was groomed and grew up to be a USC Trojan fan, I actually attended UCLA. Um, yes, to the surprise of my parents and even myself, uh, God spoke to us that day and said, Tim, I want you to go to UCLA. And that is a, an entire different sermon in and of itself. But when God tells you to do something, you do it, right? Okay, and so I enrolled and my dad started writing tuition checks to the UC Regents, which he's glad that he doesn't have to do ever again. Um, but here's the thing, even though I went to UCLA, I didn't still love UCLA. In fact, I still loved USC football a lot, especially as they are fighting for national championships. Um, and for those of you who don't know me that well, um, I'm a pretty loud person. Uh, I let my passions be very well known to people. And so I didn't really hide it, the fact that I was a USC fan attending UCLA. And so every Saturday when they had a game, I wore my jersey. I had a nice USC banner in my room that said, beat UCLA, because that's what I wanted to see. And um, maybe one of the things that Jesus wanted to tell me was uh, how to love my enemies. And so let me just say, he taught everyone else how to do that well, because I don't know how I survived those years. Um, however, an interesting thing did happen my junior year. Um, UCLA uh, became kind of the upstart, the underdogs. Uh, they were on 8-0 record and were being known as the comeback kids. Uh, in fact, they were having all these games in overtime, and I wouldn't hear the end of it uh, from all my friends, especially one of my friends, Brian. And the one thing that I heard over that got under my skin was when they kept on saying that, you know, USC is so overrated. 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 And I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't know how overrated your team is. But we'll leave that for another time. And that time came. UCLA played a game against University of Arizona, U of A, and they got slaughtered by a score of 52 to 14. And I knew my time was now. And so this was when social media was just at the advent, so I don't think I realized how viral things can get. And so I made a post uh, mocking every single thing that they're saying, like 6-0, 7-0, 8-0, and then I was screaming, 8-1, baby, 8-1. I was mocking every single thing that they did. And just for a little cherry on top, I wrote at the end to, and tagged my friend Brian. I said, Brian, just to let you know, I love you, of A. <laughs> little did I know how much traction that would get um, in the age of social media. Um, maybe some of you have seen comment sections on Facebook or at your favorite website, but somehow the most controversial and gaslighting things come out there. Things that are said like, Tim, you are a very stupid, 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 stupid man. I hope I never see you again. Tim, you better not step foot in our dorm or I'm going to rip off your face and wear it for Halloween. And then I remember one of the friends said, some Christian you are. And it wasn't until my best friend Will went up to me and said, hey, Tim, you know I'm a huge UCLA fan, and I'm pretty mad at what you did, but that's not what I'm talking to you about. We're both Bible study leaders. We're both supposed to represent Jesus. 
we moved into the dorms in order for us to be that light to other people. And right now, you've created so much turmoil and division. I think you've effectively ruined our witness to the rest of the community. I think you should make things right. And at first, I was defensive. The snarky part of myself said, okay, I'll say an apology. I'll say an apology. I'm sorry that your team is so bad. But I knew that would be probably the worst thing that I can do. And when I look at scripture, when I look at what Jesus said, he said, if your brother has anything against you, leave your gift at the worship altar, go and be reconciled to him. And then go present your gift. You know, I had a leaders meeting that night for the Bible study leaders, and I look back and I should have done, made things right before then. I didn't have enough time, but I was just thinking, how can I make things right? I'm, I can say I'm sorry, but in this day and age, it seems like I'm sorry just doesn't cut it. We'll see public figures say, I'm sorry that I offended you, and it seems very half-hearted. And so I was wondering, what's a way that I can actually share that I am very sorry for what I did, that I didn't mean it? And I'm not sure about you, but um, in Asian culture, there's this thing where uh, at a time of mourning, in times of funerals, of, penitent, of penitence, um, people shave their heads as kind of a sign um, that they are feeling, that in a time of kind of expressing their emotions. And for those of you who have ever had uh, young boys, all of them seem to go through a phase where uh, their hair never gets cut, and it becomes like a lion's mane in terms of like how proud they are of it. But I realized, I'm like, maybe this is what I need to do to show Brian that I'm really sorry. And so I went into my bathroom. I got my razor, turned it on. I'm like, okay, this is for the kingdom. This is for forgiveness. And it's, you know, buzzing, and it just stops. I'm like, what the heck? And so I'm missing this patch right here. And it didn't occur to me the common sense that what barbers use in their shop are not the same thing that I use to shave my, my mustache and beard off. And so here I was with this patch of hair missing. And I grabbed some of the scissors from my desk and tried to just do whatever I could. I'm like, this has to be something I can do. But I honestly didn't have the tools to do it. And so when I stepped out, my roommate saw me. He's like, Tim, did you just get attacked by a squirrel? And I shared with him, I'm like, I need to make things right. I need to be about forgiveness. And so I finally went up to Brian, and I'm like, Brian, I'm sorry for all the things that I said. I shouldn't have kicked someone when they're down. Do you forgive me? Can we make things right? He hugged me, and then he proceeded to do the rest of the job. He got a big razor, made it a lot cleaner and everything like that. Um, and we're still friends to this day. And people look at that moment. Um, my friend Will actually says, Tim, I think that that one thing witnessed more to our community, to our campus, um, than a lot of the other things because it was about forgiveness. A whole new wardrobe is not about making us look good. It's about making God look good. It's not about being right. It's about being reconciled. And the funny thing is, I look back at different years that I've been in Christian communities where little things come up, things that are allowed to fester. Over the years, I've seen it take its toll. 
I'm single, I'm not married, but a lot of my friends are, but I keep on hearing conversations of old friends and different things like that where they say, is that person going to be there? Oh, if so, then I'm not going to go. And it saddens me that we share the same faith, but because of the unforgiveness that some people can't be in the same room together. And I think there's this idea that we have that somehow when we reach heaven, it's all going to be fine and good. But what I've learned about in terms of what eternity is, it's not just it starts when we die and then it goes on for the rest of eternity. It's not just the longevity of what eternal life is about, but it's actually the depth. It's actually being able to experience all that God has to offer in the here and now. What would it be like if we could experience eternity now by living in a place of grace and forgiveness? A whole new wardrobe is not about making us look good. It's to make Christ look good. But with that, I just want to do one more experiment. And so close your eyes with me for a second and imagine this. Imagine yourself standing in front of a mirror. You see a reflection of yourself. And in the reflection, you see behind you Jesus. As you're looking in the mirror, you start seeing all the different holes, all the different stains on your clothing. And each of those blemishes has a different name. Maybe it's a hidden sin. Maybe it's a culturally permissible sin. Maybe it's idolatry. But then one by one you see Jesus taking it off, fixing it, putting it all together in his hands. What is it that he's removing from you? What are those words that he's taking off of you? He takes all those and puts them in your hand. And he tells you, rid yourself of these things. Put these things to death. What do you do? Then he says to you, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And he starts clothing you. This is the best that you've ever looked. And as you get from an instance, you're like, wow, I look more like Jesus right now. Open your eyes. And I want to ask you one last time. What is it that you want to see? But don't say it out loud. Rather, I want you to live it out. Clothe yourself in the gentleness, in humility, in forgiveness, in patience. You see, we all have a whole new wardrobe, and it's to make him look good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time for us to be in Scripture, to see what it was that you had Paul commissioned to the church in Colossae, and God, I pray, Lord, that we would 
have the will to clean out our closet, that you would give us eyes to see what are the things that we're trying to deal with or manage or maintain, but not clean out of our closet. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to see beyond our dividing lines, to see beyond our tribes, but you see that all are in Christ, and Christ is all. And God, please clothe us in kindness, in humility, in forgiveness, and bind these things in love so that we would be representatives, ambassadors that would be becoming the followers of Christ. We lift up all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.